Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Welcome back to the Book of Daniel sermon series. Now we're on chapter six. The goal of chapter six is to help us to see how God sovereignly rules over all of creation. There are four main ideas we hope you walk away with. King Darius the Mede, the ruler of a short two-year period that cast Daniel into the lion's den. Daniel's prayer life, that prayer should be as consistent as breathing for a believer. Daniel's character, which was above reproach that no hater could call into question. And the lion's den, the snare set against Daniel, which ultimately became the end of Daniel's accusers. Hold on to these ideas as they're being discussed today in this week's sermon, Tamed Lions. Well, good afternoon, everybody. How y'all doing today? Amen. Come on, y'all sound weak. How y'all doing today? Amen. Amen. It is good to be gathered with the people of God in the house of God. The, we, are, we are serving and worshiping the one who has saved us and ransomed us, and we don't take that lightly. You know, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says it this way, that God is able to save us to the utmost. Somebody say the utmost. Come on, I need you to say that like, like you, you, you a little bit Pentecostal, say to the utmost. He saves us to the utmost. That means he saves us from the furthest, most extreme. I don't know about you, man, but if you need proof of the fact that God is able to save us, you should look around this room. Just take a second to scan the room. Just a, just a second. Look around. Look at the person next to you, the people behind you. Everybody that you were sitting next to or around has a story. And if they have trusted in Jesus, it is because God wooed them and he saved us to the utmost. No matter how far we drifted, no matter how far we went, no matter how deep our sin went, our, our sin went we cannot out sin the cross. God is good. God is gracious. God is loving. God is kind that he would ransom and want to be in relationship with trifling me. That messes me up. And so we come in here to worship. We come in here to celebrate. This is not a funeral, but we come in here to worship and lift up the name of Jesus. And one of the ways we do that is through the word of God. I got my Bible. I don't know if you have physical Bibles, but won't you do me a favor? Grab out your phone, grab your phones or your devices. And y'all know where we going. Get to Daniel chapter six. Hey, listen, I have been preaching uh, the last week uh, more than I normally do. Actually, at, at the end of this service last week, I ran out of here um, before service ended and jumped in an Uber and ran home for a second and then had to preach at a friend's anniversary uh, across town over in um, East New York. And it was a Pentecostal church. So y'all know we was there all night. Packed dinner. If you go to a Pentecostal church, you pack dinner and you stay there all night. But we had such a good time, man, celebrating, celebrating the Lord and his faithfulness. Church is nine years old. And and so um, I got to got to preach there. And then yesterday I'm just coming back from Philadelphia, spent some time with a men's at a men's event down there at Epiphany Fellowship uh, under the leadership of uh, my pastor mentor, Dr. Eric Mason. Got to spend time with the men down there and uh, and taught. Uh, for over an hour and so my voice is just a, a little bit a little bit dry today a little bit raspy in fact I got up and took a COVID test this morning just to be sure and we, we all straight we all we all good but my voice is um 
is going. So what I need is if you say amen, that'll help me out today. So if you say so as I'm going, just if you can give a little bit of encouragement, this can be a conversation. I think uh, it certainly will make this whole thing flow a little bit better. This is not just me talking to you, but we talking to each other. Amen. amen. Uh, hey, Good Friday is coming up. It's going to be a great time. Good Friday is the time that we get to celebrate uh, the death of Christ where most people mourn death. We celebrate because it is his death that brought us liberty. And then it's his resurrection that is proof that we have the liberty, that the tomb is empty, and we'll celebrate that on Sunday. Um, get here early. Get here early on Good Friday. Uh, the room is going to be packed. Uh, we will have some artistic expression of, of what the cross is, and there'll be some cool things that we're doing. It's a worship, it's a worship night. We're going to be worshiping. The worship team will be here uh, in full, locked and loaded, ready to go. And, um, and then we'll spend some time, a little bit of time in the Word. Uh, and then Sunday, Easter Sunday is going to be great. I love it. The idea of come as you are. You literally can come with a three piece on and some gators. Or you, or you, you can come with some cut ups on. It, it, it doesn't matter what you wear, but um, I'm excited about Easter Sunday. It's going to be a good time of being able to celebrate our risen Savior who conquered sin and, and conquered death and then rose again. Uh, let me just quickly throw this out there. I feel like I put a damper on the room. The first service when I when I said this and so I'll try to keep this as light as possible um, but we need your help like I, I feel like I keep saying that we really 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 do need your help a lot of times when you come to a church that seemingly has stuff together and you see people moving and operating you you can have the assumption oh they're good but we're not we need we need your help on so many fronts you know in terms of serving you know Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 that when you serve serve as unto the Lord and so when you're serving people, you're not really serving people. You're serving his body. You're serving the Lord. And so we just we need your help. Um, Michelle, is Michelle, wave your hand, Michelle, over our children's ministry. Amen. Come on, let's give her some love, y'all. She certainly needs help in the children's um, children's room. So if there's a if you can commit some time. So I'm not saying a whole Sunday, but baby, you can do a service. And then, you know, do first service with the children and then come up here for the second service or vice versa. And, you know, try to dedicate some time to serving. A lot of times when it comes to church, we can be very we can be very consumeristic where it's like, well, what, do, what does the church have for me? But in the church should. There sh but there should be a give and a take. It should be we should give, but you should also be able to give back. And there's there's mutual encouragement that we should be able to gain from uh, one another. So our children's ministry needs help. Uh, Josh won't say it because he, he he won't. You know, he's not in the mic today, but I'm telling you, the worship team needs help. They just need more people serving weekly. Every service uh, just requires us to have uh, more people volunteering. And uh, also our men, we're trying to connect more with our men and do more with our men. Can I just get a man in here to just say, you're just... I need all the men up in here to figure out how to commit to more time to this idea of community in the body. Uh, Ashton is over our men. Wave your hand, Ashton. Let's show Ashton some love like y'all show Michelle some love. Ashton wants to meet with all the men in the back. It'll probably be five minutes right after service, right in the back where the camera area is. Uh, Ashton just wants to meet and, and chop it up with y'all for a little bit. Uh, as we try to figure out a way to serve God's body best. All right, let's get into it. Daniel chapter six. How many been enjoying the series through the book of Daniel? Man, it certainly has been a blessing for me as well. I pray that you guys are not just hearing it on Sunday mornings, but you guys are spending time in the word um, throughout the week and spending time, you know, reading through Daniel. There's so much in here. 
so many answers to questions, but let's dig in and see what it is the Lord will say to us. Before I, before I read, let me pray and um, announce my topic. I'm talking today about tamed lions. Uh, I'll do this. Let me pray and then we'll dig in. Father, we thank you. We thank you that your word is alive that it's active and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. So, Father, would you, would you do spiritual surgery on us today? Would you cut out our hearts? Um, as we look at this familiar passage, would you speak to us today? And, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just hear about Daniel, but that we would hear about Jesus. Give us Jesus today. Point us to Jesus. May we adore him. May we worship him because Daniel didn't die for us. Jesus did. And so, Father, we want to preach and proclaim your gospel today that gives us liberty. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Tamed Lion. So I don't know if you've ever seen those videos where um, there's a zookeeper and he gets the, the lion in the room and the lion's nice and calm and then they bring people into the room, a person after a person, and they'll pet the lion and they'll take a picture with the lion and the next person come in and pet the lion and take a picture or, or, or those interviews where the interviewer is interviewing a, a, a zookeeper, he brings out all these different animals, and then finally, the great finale is they bring out this lion. And they'll put the lion next to the zookeeper, and, and then the, the guy who's doing the interview will conduct the interview, and they expect the lion to stay tame the whole time. They expect him to behave the whole time. I can just tell you now, I'm always rooting for the animal, always. <laughs> because it just makes no sense to me that the DNA of a lion is to devour. The, the very DNA, the, the, what, the makeup of what a lion is, is to destroy things. A lion is not supposed, it's supposed to be in the wild. It's not supposed to be sitting and being pet person after person. And so what happens is after it attacks somebody, the, the, the zoo will put out some type of statement, you know, Oscar the lion has never done this before. This is out of his character. But why is it out of his character? This is actually in his character. Because a lion is carnivorous. A lion eating a person is as natural as me eating tacos from Chelsea Market. It's just going to happen. <laughs> and so what happens is you can bring the taco in after a taco, and I'll sit, and you might pet me and take a picture with me. But third or fourth taco, I'm going to devour it. I'm going to devour it. Why? Because it's a part of my nature. It's in my DNA. And in this lion, every lion's DNA is to tear flesh apart, sink its teeth into flesh, and rip it apart. And only a God, only a God can cause a hungry lion overnight to be tamed while it's in the presence of food. Only a creator, only a God is able to do that. And so we arrive at chapter six, which arguably is the most, one of the most familiar passages in all of scripture. It's one of the most familiar stories, whether you came in here or not, that you, whether you came in here and you know Jesus or not, I'm willing to bet that everybody in the room has some working knowledge of this story of Daniel and the lion's den. This story is so famous, it's only to be rivaled by David and Goliath. It's only to be rivaled by, by Adam and Eve's story. It's only to be rivaled by Jonah and the whale, but I would argue that this is one of those stories that everybody knows. And my, my fear as a pastor and as a communicator is to be, it, it, my fear is that I'm going to preach this, but you've already had baggage that you brought into the text because we all do it. This earlier this week, I had to look at this passage and clean the slate because if I didn't clean the slate, I would have thought about what my parents taught me about the story. 
I would have thought about what the other preacher taught me about the story. So what I want to do is I want us all to act like we don't know the story today. And I want to read this with a brand new lens. Now, before we jump in, just to give quick context and, and connect chapter five to chapter six. If you remember chapter five, at the end of chapter five, Belshazzar, this king of Babylon, was arrogant and they pulled out all the vessels from, from Jerusalem and started to drink out of them, the concubines, the wives, and the writing on the wall happened and the writing was on the wall was that the Persians were gonna take over the Babylonians. Now I gotta make some, I gotta, I gotta make sure that we all understand what happened in terms of leadership. Belshazzar dies at the end of the chapter. Let me read it, verse 30, I'm back in chapter five. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean was killed and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. So don't miss this. Darius is now the king. We don't know a lot about Darius the Mede. There are different Dariuses that are mentioned within the Old Testament, and sometimes scholars will try to connect them and say they're the same person. They're not. Darius is unique. But Darius is a pivotal character in the text today. Because when you think about the lion's den, it is King Darius that would have that thrown Daniel in the den. Now, Darius is not a Persian king. He is a Babylonian king. So when the Persians took over the Babylonians, apparently they allowed them to keep some structure, including their own king. And so now that they have their own king and the Persians are in control of uh, the Persians are in control of Babylon, King Darius is introduced to us in chapter one, in chapter, chapter six. All right, pick me up in verse one. There's some things that happen here that I think are so, so interesting. Verse one, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom, the kingdom of Babylon, 120 satraps to be throughout the kingdom, the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, one of them whom was Daniel, of whom these satraps, a satrap is nothing but a protector of the kingdom, of whom these satraps should have given account, should give a, an account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Don't miss verse three. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the others, above all the other high officials and satraps, because of his excellent spirit was in him. The king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Don't miss this. King Darius is now in charge, and he says, I need 120 people who are keepers of the kingdom, and I'll call them satraps. And after I put them all in place, I need three high officials, and these three high officials will be over. They will, be, they will oversee the satraps. The Bible says that Daniel is one of those three. But Daniel always stands head and shoulders above the rest. Because then the rest of the verse says that Daniel became distinguished amongst all the other high officials. So there's three high officials and Daniel stands out as the cream of the crop. I don't know if y'all are picking this up, but can we agree that Daniel is just that dude? Can we agree that Daniel is unique? How many times so far have we read throughout this story that Daniel always stands out even amongst wise men? Even every time, even amongst high officials, even amongst satraps, nobody can compare to Daniel. And what I love about Daniel is no matter where he is, he always creates opportunities to be godly. He always creates opportunities to be loved by the king. He always creates opportunities to be promoted. He's not complaining. He's not upset because a whole bunch of changes are going on. Why are y'all changing all the, the leadership? No matter where he is, no matter what the circumstances is, he always remains positive and godly. He always seems to find a way to be on top. 
And I love this about him. Multiple times throughout this story, throughout this, this, this book, we've seen this happen for Daniel. Daniel never looks at situations and thinks, my life is over. Daniel always looks at situations and thinks, what else does God want me to do? Can you imagine if we went through life like that? Where every situation, every circumstance, no matter what it is that you go through, you always are looking, God, how do you want to use me in this situation? Now, here's what we miss. When we read chapters one through chapter six, y'all said y'all would say amen, so I just need a little bit more from y'all. Chapter one, you're like, well, say something, and I'll say amen. (laughs) Chapter one and chapter six, when you read it just in concert in one sitting, what we miss is that one through six actually spans a bunch of decades. So when Daniel and the boys first came to Babylon, they were teenagers, In chapter number six, do you know that Daniel is now over 80 years old? And so the pictures that we see, the images that we see, you know, uh, uh, of this uh, Anglo-Saxon teenager that's in a lion's den is not true. What you see in in scripture is that somebody with a hint of melanin would have been in the the, the den, but he would have been over 80 years old. Over 80 years old. Now, here's what we we also got to pick up. Notice Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah aren't mentioned anymore in Daniel. And most commentators will say that because they were mentioned so heavily in the first part of the book, the fact that they're not mentioned anymore, they're presumably, they're, they're presumably dead. That they probably would have already passed because so many decades have gone on, but Daniel is 80 years old, and here's what got me twisted up all week. Daniel is 80 and still getting promoted. Daniel is 80 and still godly. Daniel is 80 and still got a positive attitude. Let me say it this way. Daniel is 80 and still being used by God. And he's over 80. Let me encourage all the older saints that are in the room. By the way, Mama D is in the room. Where Mama D at? Can you stand up, Mama? Come on. Y'all give some love for Mama D. I didn't mean to tie you to the sage. Thank you. But there is something so special about seeing those that have walked with the Lord for a little bit. Stay faithful to the Lord. Stay committed by God. Stay being used by God. And I'll tell you now, Epiphany, one of the things that we're missing as a church that we need is more sage wisdom in the room. Come on, we need some more salt and pepper. Because wait, come on now. Because what, 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 what sage wisdom does is, sage wisdom has lived through some things. Stuff you pray about, they live through. Sa- sage wisdom knows how to talk straight with no chaser. And they'll tell you, and they, they don't care if you get an attitude. And here, here's the thing, all, the, all of you that are, that are older, that are in the room, and those of you who are online, listen, you haven't missed anything. You're not past your prime. God can still use you. Because I'm reading a passage where he uses an 80-year-old man and still puts him on top. You are not getting worse. You're getting better. Amen. You know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed. Don't you dare put your nose up to the older generation. You are, that would be so arrogant. What we need is more sage wisdom. And maybe you're in here and you're not old, but maybe you just feel like you've missed out on some things. Maybe you feel like you, you wasted a lot of time. Maybe you feel like you're past your prime. Let me help you out today, too. God can still use you. And God still wants to use you. 
And so stop complaining, stop sitting home, stop thinking you've retired from this thing called mission. What is that? We don't retire from mission. We're on mission for the rest of our life. And please, young people, hear me. You may not be old, but you might feel like you missed up on, messed out on something. You ain't miss out on nothing. Your season still cometh. What they say? Your season can still be here for you. In other words, get up and dust that business proposal off. I know you got rejected from the job. Reapply. Get back on your grind. Get back on mission. Get back sharing your faith. I know he hurt you. Get back in another relationship. You know why? Because you didn't miss anything because God still uses. He knows how to redeem the time. He knows how to redeem the time. And so Daniel is over 80 years old and God says promotion and I'm still using you. And Daniel is in good company because you know how many people in scripture God used and they were sage. They were elderly. Some of the greatest stories that you and I know of were people that got called at an old age. Come here, Moses. Moses is in Midian. He ain't deliver Israel yet. He ain't go to Egypt yet. He's hiding away for 40 years. He's sitting in Midian. And the Bible says he's walking one day and there's a burning bush. And the bush is burning, but it's not being consumed. And he gets close, and it's God's audible voice saying, take off those shoes. This is holy ground, because nothing unclean can be in God's presence. So take off them shoes. The ground you're now walking on is holy. Despite the fact that he probably walked on it the day before, God is like, because I'm here, it's now holy. Take off your shoes. He gets called. He tells him, go to Pharaoh. Tell him to let my people go. Do you know that Moses was over 80 years old when God called him in Midian? Over 80. And so we got this idea of this young buck going, come let my people go and go to the Red Sea. And do. No, he was already over 80 when God called him. What about Joseph? Joseph in the Old Testament, Jacob's boy. Jacob lived to be over 110 years old and God was faithful to use him throughout his life. Another one that gets promoted and gets promoted and gets promoted. What about Simeon and Anna? Y'all ever heard of their story in Luke chapter 2? They were elderly. In fact, the Bible tells me that Anna was 104 years old and they were so dedicated to seeing what's called the consolation, to, to seeing the Christ come that they set inside because they were promised it. They set inside the temple day in, day out until Jesus could be brought in. And the Bible says that when Jesus is born, uh, his mother brings him, Mary brings him to the temple to be dedicated and Anna grabs him. And in the midst of grabbing him, she says to the Lord, you may dismiss your servant, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Notice she didn't say my eyes see the one that brings salvation. No, in Jesus is salvation. She was 104 years old. Well, what about Sarah? Sarah was, was, was womb would have been locked up, but she was over 90 years old, and God treated her womb like she was a fresh 20-year-old. Over 90 years old. And the Bible doesn't say that she's going to have one child, but he uses her over and over again. What about her husband, Abraham? Abraham, uh, he, he gets called in, in Genesis chapter 12. The Bible says that God takes him outside and says, look up at the heavens. Look up at the sky. Look up at the stars. Your descendants will outnumber the stars. Don't miss this. He was over 75 years old when God called him. How are you 75 years old and God is like, I ain't going to give you a kid. Your descendants is going to as many stars as you can count tonight. Your descendants will outnumber that. 75 years old. What about Joshua? 
Okay, so I, I went down to Philly yesterday, and, and they were going through the entire book of Joshua. You know, Joshua's so funny because the book of Joshua is so different than the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is about how to live in exile. The book of Joshua is about how to live in the land. And so you have these two extremes. So I almost had to recondition my mind because I've been in such exile and Daniel and Daniel and Babylon that I'm like, oh, there's a promised land. And so I'm looking at Joshua and I'm reading through the 24 chapters of Joshua earlier this week. And it stuck out to me when I was reading through Joshua. Number one, he dies. This is chapter 24. He dies in chapter 24 at 110 years old. But do you know how many times God told him you are already old, bro? In chapter 13, God told him he was old, but even in the midst, he didn't say old. He said, you're very old. And even in the midst of telling him he's very old, he's like, but put on your war clothes because I still got some more work for you to do. Let me read it. Joshua chapter 13, verse one. When Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, you are now very old and there is still very large areas of land to be taken over. And so Daniel, I mean, so then Joshua had to fight off the Gibeonites and he had to fight off, you know, Jericho wall. I mean, they walked around the wall all these times. Don't miss this. That man was, he died at 110 years old. And even when he died, he's giving farewells, telling people to be godly and fight idolatry. These people were old and God still used them. So when I read about Daniel getting promoted and I read about Daniel being the wisest person and I read about Daniel uh, having the responsibility of being over the satraps, I'm reading about an elderly person. And this is what my prayer is for us as a church. You know, Paul says to Titus, let your older women teach your younger women. There is something so beautiful about seeing a room full of 20-year-olds, but also seeing some salt and pepper where they can say, baby, I know you said that last week, but you shouldn't have said that. Oh, see, we get offended at stuff like that. You'll get offended if an old, if a, you know, an OG be like, yo, why you, put that, why you put that on your social media? See, we would get offended, but this, that's what we need. Saged wisdom, because they bring wisdom and they've lived through some things. And so the Bible says that Daniel is over 80, and he's not looking out the window complaining about the Babylonian kids. Y'all know how we them old people do. Why them kids so loud looking out the window? They're not complaining about the next generation. Older folk need to be looking and saying, how can I be faithful even in the age that I am? How can I disciple another generation? Give me a voice to speak into another generation. Give me the energy to serve another generation. We need some older folk in the room. I'm going to move on because I, I mean, I feel like I'm not even preaching to y'all today. Old folk, I, we need y'all. We need y'all in the room. So <clears throat> the Bible says that he's over, the, the, the context will tell us he's over 80 and he's getting promoted. But watch what happens. Even in his promotion, some people get jealous. That's pretty typical. Look at verse four. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they couldn't find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we, sh we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king, Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom and the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance 
and enforce the injunction that whoever makes a petition to any other God for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into a den of lions. And now, king, the king, and now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed. Let me just pause there. Keep your finger there for a second. Y'all don't got Bibles. Just keep your eyes there for a second. It's so interesting to me that the king has to sign an edict, or if he signs an edict, that the Persian law would have said he can't even go against his own law. So it's not like he could sign it and be like, oh man, I didn't mean to sign that. Let me undo that. He can't do that. If he signs it into law, then that, or he, so he puts his signet on it and makes it law, that means it, 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 he, he can't even go against it. So it says here in verse 8, so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, Darius signed the document of injunction. So now it is clear for the next 30 days, nobody should be praying. When Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went into his house where he had windows in the upper chambers open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to God. Don't miss this statement as he had done previously. Daniel hears about this edict and he pays it no attention. He goes into his house, not in his prayer closet. He doesn't go in the bathroom. He goes to the window that's pointed toward Jerusalem. And the Bible says that he gets down on his knees and he prays. But here's the thing. Don't miss this. I need you to pay attention to the habitual nature of his prayers. He prays three times a day. So the Bible says that after the edict is signed, he goes and does what he always does. Daniel was consistent in prayer. Daniel would have prayed in chapter one when they were trying to get him to eat uh, all types of forbidden food. I wonder if Daniel would have prayed when he uh, was being threatened that all the wise men were going to be killed in chapter two. I wonder if Daniel's friends would have prayed when they were told to bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar's uh, statue. Daniel chapter nine. We're not we're not there yet. But Daniel nine, he spends most of the chapter praying. He lets us in on his prayer life a little bit more. Whenever Daniel had any trouble around him or whenever Daniel found himself in any type of situation or he was being threatened, Daniel always resorted to prayer. His default was always prayer because prayer for him was natural. Somebody say it was natural. natural. Write this down. Prayer must be for the believer what oxygen is to the human. Let me say that again. Prayer must be for the believer what oxygen is to the human. If I asked you to tell me what your prayer life is like, I think most of us in this room would say we're inconsistent. I pray, but we don't always pray. You know, I, I throw up some quick petitions every now and then, but we need to learn how to make prayer a habit. We need to learn how to make prayer a habit because when you make prayer a habit, what do they say? Habits become character. I would argue that the reason why Daniel was so godly was because he was so prayerful. The reason why they couldn't find anything on Daniel in chapter in verse number four was because he made prayer habitual. And because it was habitual, it became part of his character. Many of you are trying to figure out how to grow in your character and you're trying to figure out how to grow in your integrity and try to figure out how to how to be more godly and how to be more faithful. Learn how to be disciplined in prayer. Because what prayer does is prayer is not just God, this genie in the bottle. When we rub the genie, he come out and answers what we want. Prayer is I'm dependent on you. That's all prayer really is. God, I'm coming to you because I ain't got nobody else to go to. 
I don't tried everything else. And Father, it's you that is able to open up the doors that need to be opened. Or Father, I, I'm struggling and, and I need your help. And I, I, need you to, I, I need you to do something in my own heart. It is prayer that helps us to be consistent. You know, we live through, you know, we go through life. And many of us that fall in sin, a lot of times, the reason we fall in sin is because we don't have this idea of fences. You know, like a, like a fence. What happens is when, let, let's just say that, that monitor there on the ground is sin. That's the temptation, right? That, that's the area where you fall. There should be several fences in your life before you get to the monitor. And so maybe one of the fences is accountability. And so maybe, you're, you know, in your life you have accountability, you have people in your life to ask you questions. You know, maybe if you struggle with porn, you have, you know, that software on your app. There's software that if you go on the wrong site, it sends the email to your, your partner, your, 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 you know, your accountability partner. And so maybe that's one fence. And maybe the next fence you have is, you know, ah, man, it's, it's conviction. I don't want to fall because if I fall, then I would have shamed my God, but I also would have hurt people. So that might be a fence that sometimes that keeps you when this don't keep you. This might keep you. But I would argue for us today that one of those fences before you get there is what would it look like to pray? I know you're like, Pastor B, you think I'm really going to pray with she right here? Yeah, we should. So what happens is we stand here and that's the time you really should pray. There's no fences. Right. We, we, and this is our life. There's no fences. And we start walking right into sin and you wondering why you keep falling off because you haven't put fences in place. And by, you might break down the first one, but you might not break down the second one. And if you break down the second one, prayer is a block to stop you. His godliness is tied to his prayer life. And I wonder how many of us want to grow, but we're trying to do so absent of prayer. You cannot call yourself spiritually growing in the Lord and not dedicate yourself to prayer three times a day. He prays for over 80 years. For over 80 years, he would have been faithful in praying. And so he, the Bible says that they say, man, sign this edict, king. The king signs the edict, the injunction, and he goes up and prays anyway. And after he prays, what happens? They catch him. The people who set him up, verse 11. Y'all good? <laughs> then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petitions and pleas before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petitions to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? Then the king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel... They so trifling, shady. Daniel, uh, it, uh, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you have signed, but makes petitions three times a day. Then the king, watch the king's response. Then the king, when he had heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down, meaning he got no sleep. He labored till the sun went down to rescue him. And then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, uh, know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded that Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. 
And the, and the king declared to Daniel, watch this. May, the God, may your God, whom you serve, here's the habit, continually deliver you. Don't miss this. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and the signet of his lords, of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went in his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Then at break at the break of day, the king rose and went in haste to the den of lions. As as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out. Uh, in a tone of anguish, the king, the king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, that's habit, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said back to the king, Oh, king, live forever. My God has sent an, an angel to shut the lion's mouth. I don't know if you are picking up what the scriptures are dropping right now, but once again, King, the king loves Daniel. Once again, a whole nother king. Daniel finds favor to the point where the king couldn't sleep. The king is fasting. The king trying to figure out how to get him saved. But, you know, then the haters come up like, ah, you can't do nothing about it. It's already into law. Persians and Medes make this law. You could like he's literally messed up. And so he's up all night. But while he's up all night, Daniel is inside the lion's den taking a cat nap. No pun intended. Now, what we do is we pay attention too much to what's happening on the inside of the den. What we should be paying attention to is not just what's happening inside the den, but what's happening outside the den. Now, inside the den, I have this picture in my mind that Daniel is, you know, he's 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 a he, he, he probably propping up one of the lions as a pillow. You know, I just got this thing in my mind where he's just like chilling, you know, when the stone moved. I got this idea that Daniel's in there with reading glasses on, you know, a book and some coffee. Like, oh, you're like, what up, kid? Like, I just, he's chilling. But that's what's happening inside. Outside, everybody's up. Like, imagine, I can imagine those who accused him were up. I can imagine they were up trying to figure out how in the world they was going, you know, they, they, you know how, how they gonna, was partying because they finally got their plan to work. I got this idea in my mind that the king is, is up and he's toiling all night and he's pacing and trying to pray and hoping that Daniel would be delivered. The angel was up all night. But Daniel was asleep. The stuff that kept everybody else up, Daniel was inside chilling. And Daniel is the only one in danger. The king ain't in danger. The angel ain't in danger. The people who put him in aren't in danger. But everybody else is up while Daniel is asleep. And I, I just, I wonder, when I read stuff like this, I wonder how many of us are in the lion's den and we're anxious and we're toiling. Baby, get you some sleep. Because your God shuts the mouth of lions. And right now, you're like, I ain't in no lion's den, but I bet you, we not, may not be physically in a lion's den, but I bet you some of you, your job, feels like a lion's den. When you go to work, I, my, 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 my guess is that sometimes you're under indescribable pressure. Well, you're, you're told to meet a quota and it's like, I can't meet it. Or you just got haters at work. I, I said I wasn't going to say that word. That's such a 2020 word. <laughs> or you just got people that don't like you at work. Or the competition that you're up against is fierce. 
and they're, they're pushing hard, get you some rest though. Because the God that you serve shuts the mouth of lions. Maybe it's a habit that you can't break. And you, you, you know, you, you, you dibble and dabble in drugs. You, there's over drinking in your life. Maybe it's a sexual sin and you can't break that sexual sin. Give that thing to God because he shuts the mouth of lions. Maybe it's a family issue. And there's somebody in your family you ain't talked to in years because y'all can't get to a place of restoration. Y'all can't resolve things. And you're wondering why in the world can't we resolve it? Get some rest. God shuts the mouth of lions. Maybe it's a sickness that you've been battling over and over again. And you're like, God, like, I want to I break through this. I want to get out of this. You need to be encouraged today because God shuts the mouth of lions. And let me tell you, maybe it's not just one thing. Maybe it's all of it. You ever been there in life where it felt like all hell was breaking loose? Like you was getting, you was getting, you know, pulled from every different direction. It felt like the teeth of the animals were, were, were just sinking into your flesh and, and it felt like you, you were about to get devoured by this lion. Don't you dare worry because God shuts the mouth of lions. And I don't know who it is in this room that you're in the midst of a lion's den right now. You're in the midst of that lion's den. You need to look at your neighbor for me and just say, God tames the lion. Look at somebody else and say, he tames the beast. Now, we will do ourselves a disservice if we read this passage and say, I want to be like Daniel. Because that's what we do. This whole sermon series, dare to be like Daniel. If we read this passage and only get out of it, Daniel is the example, we would have missed the passage. Because the passage is less about them, not just this passage, anytime you read an Old Testament story, the story is not for you to marvel and try to manipulate, or not manipulate, emulate what the hero is doing. It's always to try to get you to adore the Savior. So not just this book, but this chapter in about Daniel, this chapter should be pointing you to Jesus. Can I show you the connections between Daniel and Jesus just in this chapter? Do you realize in verse number four that it says that they couldn't find any error, any fault? You can't tell me that Jesus and Daniel aren't both a picture of innocence. And yeah, Jesus is fully innocent, like no sin was ever found in his mouth. And Daniel, he of course, he sinned. How do I know? Because Daniel chapter nine, he's confessing sin, not just Israel's sin, but his own sin. So Daniel's not sinless. But in this chapter, he looks to be innocent. Daniel and Jesus both are a picture of innocence. Daniel and Jesus both have political leaders that are trying to bring false charges against them to get them killed. Daniel and Jesus both have earthly judges that have rule over them that can make the change to save them or not save them. Don't miss this. Daniel's is King Darius. Jesus was Pontius Pilate. And both of these judges, both just like Daniel and Jesus, both had judges that knew that they were innocent and wanted to save them. Both Daniel and Jesus were thrown into a pit to be left for dead. Both Daniel and Jesus had a stone over the dead. Both Daniel and Jesus had loving friends that woke up early in the morning and ran to the tomb. Both Daniel and Jesus walked out the next morning and escaped death. But the only difference, there's one difference between Daniel and Jesus. Jesus walked out to never die again. Daniel died again. And so this is why I say, don't point yourself to mere man. 
Let's point ourselves to the one that Daniel put his faith and his trust in. King Jesus. Next week, this is why I said, yo, when y'all come in here, can we stop all the quiet stuff? We got to turn up when y'all come in here next week. Because we are celebrating and serving the one who beat death. And by beating death, caused you and all of your sin that is on you to be placed on him. And because it's placed on him, he got what we deserve. And so when you come in here, we celebrate in the death of Christ. You better know the death of Christ is only pointing me to the resurrection of Christ. Don't just celebrate Daniel, but make sure that we celebrate Jesus. Now, the greatest lion that Jesus ever tamed was your sin. And that, see that, I would rather get eaten by a regular lion than get swallowed up by my sin. Because my sin has the ability to have me tormented for the rest of eternity. So when Jesus gets on the cross, the angel tames the physical lions, but when Jesus gets on the cross, he tames this lion called sin and he put it to death. And those of you who are in this room that don't know Jesus, you better know him today. And you know why you better know him today? Because won't nobody else die for your sins like Jesus? Bump that. Nobody else is even worthy. You know why? Because they got to die for their own sin. What makes Jesus unique is that he doesn't have to sin that he has to die for. So he can willingly go to a cross and die and take on all of your sin because he has none of his own. He is the perfect sacrifice. Everybody, every head bow and every eye closed. At the end of this story, <clears throat> at the end of the story, the scripture tells me that the people who set up Daniel were thrown in the den. The people who set up Daniel got what they thought Daniel deserved. And once the king saw that, that, that Daniel's God rescued him, he said, put all them in the den. And the, the, the lions were so hungry and so fierce that they begin to devour not just, don't miss this, not just the people that set them up, but their entire families. Before they could even hit the bottom of the den, the Bible says their bones were crushed. And at the end of this, the end of this chapter, here's what the scripture says that King Darius says, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree in my royal dominion that all people in, are to tremble and fear the God of Daniel. An entire nation got a new edict. And that new edict is that you should fear the God of Daniel. All because Daniel, 80 years old, is still being faithful. Father, I want to pray for everybody in the room. We do ourselves a disservice with stories like this when we read it and we just say, oh, that's what it looks like to be brave. Father, we're not looking to be like Daniel. We want to be like your son, Jesus. The one that you sit to die for our sins. The one that tames the lion, the beast called sin. And so, Father, I pray that we would walk out of here today renewed and refreshed and with fresh eyes on this story. That we would be able to see Jesus in the story. Father, as we celebrate and think about this idea of the stone being rolled and Daniel still being alive, may that point us to this idea of Jesus being alive when the stone was rolled away. Because it's that that gives us liberty. I want to pray for somebody today Lord that feels like their time has passed they feel like they've missed opportunities and they feel like they're past their prime they're looking around at the young people and they're going I can't do that 
too tech savvy. Father, would you help them to see that you want to get them in the game? That you got to work for them. There's still more for them to do. We are not too old. We did not miss out. So Father, would you birth in us this idea of mission in every season of our life? May we be consistent and faithful with you. Father, I thank you overall for this Daniel series, Lord, as you were doing a work in our lives and transforming us, Lord, it is this book that is helping us. And so every time we get in here and every time we meet, Father, would you be with us? Just like you've been with us through the last six chapters. You are a good God. You are a good God. You are a good God. But you're also powerful because you tame lions. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.